but it was just yeah it's like oh crap the, the whole point of doing it Hey everybody, welcome to How to Survive the Modern World, or Gen X isn't just a fashion statement, presented to you by Tribe74.com. Check them out for all your digital media needs. Good day everybody, it's Rob here, I'm here as always with Andrew, and uh, my cousin from way out west, Paul. How you doing buddy? I'm doing well, thank you very much. Welcome to the show, Paul. Well, thank you. How's, uh, how's the eastern end of the world? Very windy today. Very windy. Yeah, it's crazy windy today. I don't know what's going on. I thought it was just my neighborhood because it's always like that. I tried to get the uh, my, my daughter to open up the bedroom window and say, yeah, pop that window open because it's getting pretty warm in the bedroom there and uh, blew, uh, blew one of my wife's prized plants right off of the, the shelf. And that was not a happy moment. That's killer money, eh? Oh, plants are crazy. Absolutely crazy. I see a guy out here. He's he's just uh, he's rolling. He started off just doing uh, plants, and now he's got a uh, cafe and Grumman truck that he's running around with, and it's just steady. Crazy, yeah, big money. Yeah, my uh, my wife got it. Kind of got into them like last year, the year before, and uh, blew up. Especially the the what they call the um, the uh, the little ones, uh, the ones that kind of just last. They're like little cactuses and stuff like that, and you put them all over your house and stuff. And like we want, we kind of wanted to upgrade the house and put some greenery in to kind of just clear the air. And, we all smell so bad <laughs> we uh so she started buying a whole bunch of them and just had them all over the place but there's so many of them. we were traveling all over like southern ontario trying to find specific ones for her, and i'm just like they're called succulents by the way it's, well it certainly blew up tonight then it blew right off the friggin <laughs> shelf so uh so andrew as always uh, we have a little list of things that we want to talk about we brought paul in because uh, we know that he'd have some knowledge here what do you want to talk about tonight Oh, dude, it, it's going to be a groovy trip tonight. Tonight, we'll be discussing psychedelics and video games. I think we have a lot to talk about tonight with psychedelics, so I think we'll be pretty busy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just kind of start here and preface a bit that I'm, I'm kind of a straight shooter, straight edge kind of guy. Like, I, I like my alcohol. I like, I like to get in trouble with alcohol, but uh, when it comes to, to drugs and uh, these kind of items like psychedelics and hallucinogens and stuff like that, I'm a virgin, but I've kind of grown up uh, from the, the side of society that always thought this stuff was bad and led to other drugs and, and, and other kinds of lifestyles. So I kind of come to this from a different perspective than most people do when they talk about this stuff. And I just wanted to say that uh, I've kind of just opened my mind a bit, even without taking the drugs or without taking the psychedelics. and. I'm kind of curious about how all this stuff works. Just never look in the mirror. <laughs> yeah. So Andrew, Andrew told me about, about a show that was on Netflix, and I watched it today, and uh, it was a bunch of celebrities. Called, it was kind of like Adventures of Psychedelics or something like that. And, uh, yeah, some of them were talking about look in the mirror. Some of them were saying don't look in the mirror. Deepak Chopra's on that, and um, the woman from Star Wars, uh, the woman that played Princess Carrie Fisher. Fisher, yeah, yeah, she had an amazing story about uh, about tripping on her uh, tripping on LSD at that beach uh, down in California there and topless, and then turned around there was a Japanese tour bus. I had no idea that uh, she was sort of a LSD kingpin in Hollywood for crying out loud. Like uh, they really, and and how open she was about it all, which she should be. She her career was like Star Wars for the first few years of her her life, and then. Uh, she kind of got into the whole drug thing because she never really got out of Star Wars. And then she kind of made that her career afterwards, you know, and that where, you know, she started going around and talking about writing books all about her stories, right? Like I think it was Postcards from the Edge, I think was her big seller. Yeah, if people want to check out that movie on Netflix, it's called Have a Good Trip, Adventures in Psychedelics. It's an amazing show. So coming as, as an ignoramus, I'm going to call it drugs. I'm sorry if I call it drugs. It's just how I was kind of raised with it. So I know that some people don't talk about it this way. Tell me, Paul, tell me more about psychedelics and kind of how they work or what it is that, that they've been talking about in regards to uh, kind of what it's supposed to be, why people are, are talking about them now suddenly. Right. Um, I think it's always been 
talked about just not out in the mainstream. Um, I think that there's there's been a lot of work done in the backfield uh, with all of with with all of these uh, uh, controlled substances. They're coming to the forefront now, where they're they're finally being utilized in a way that is more productive. I suppose. I know that there was a there was a there was a a big study that kind of really started to tip it off with soldiers PTSD uh, survivors, where, you know, soldiers that come back from the war with PTSD and they were really struggling. Obviously, and everybody understands that. They started to actually use um, psilocybin, and they were hitting these guys with with huge amounts, like seven, seven, eight, nine grams, like just just blasting them hard, and they'd leave them sitting there with a the doctor. Now they mixed it other things. We mentioned it earlier, so whatever. But MDMA is another one that they cut in. But what they were doing, what they found was that they were they were taking these guys on on a trip, on a big trip with a doctor, and it was all well, you know, guarded. These people are seeing results upwards of a year or more, where they don't need another trip, and they are balanced. Depression's gone, anxiety's gone, stress levels gone. And one of the things that they found with psilocybin in particular, and I, I know this firsthand, is it puts you in a different uh, state. It almost allows the mind to rewire itself. You're not getting high in any, we'll say for the purpose of this, uh, with, with mushrooms, with ma- you know, magic mushroom psilocybin, you would need a gram to get grouped. An average dose is probably 50 milligrams to 100 milligrams twice a week, so every four days. And that's not enough to do really anything, just maybe make the rooms a little brighter, make things a little funnier. But it allows you to see through your, your issues, your stress, your anxiety, maybe balances out your depression. And it just gives you that, I don't want to say confidence, but it, it aligns you in a, in a sense that you can not sweat the petty stuff. I mean, the petty stuff is, it, I think everybody in this day and age, especially right now with COVID, you're feeling it more and more. Like I'm seeing aggression, driving, parking lots, uh, grocery stores all ages, all people, male, female. And I get it. I mean, how could you not? I'm, I'm feeling the stress of it all with everything else in my life, right? I guess, I, guess, I guess where this gets to is a lot of people, for a long time, we've had a lot of people uh, on antidepressants and on the market, the big, big pharma, and they pushed a lot of uh, drugs. I remember, um, I'm going I'm to misname it right now, I know it, but uh, when I was in high school, there was a big push for this one antidepressant that... Uh, all the that they were putting all the girls on they would go in and you know see their doctor and you know oh I, you know they'd just be getting their period or whatever and they'd be depressed or whatever so they just oh, here you go uh, take uh hand that over the counter yeah i almost said zyban but that was the that was the smoking one i can't remember we were just talking about carrie fisher she, yeah. she was buried in a, or she had her urns that pill that she had her her urn as a replica of i forget what that antidepressant is but that's what i'm speaking anyways the, what do these pills do like, you know, they're engineered, you know, they hard on the liver, they hard on you over time. I, I hear now there's a lot of antidepressants people are on that they can't just quit. That's, that's a big, a big thing is uh, definitely addiction. And then I, I come from a household where we have a lot of uh, uh, anxiety and depression in my household, uh, just with my family as it is. And uh, addiction is, is a major thing that, that we're concerned about. And ph- pharmaceuticals in general, because we know that there's, there's more too. But what even, even from some of the little research I've been doing on the psychedelics is that uh, what the difference between that and pharmaceuticals is that pharmaceuticals just kind of mask the symptoms and they don't actually relieve the symptoms. I don't think that a lot of these antidepressants, it's an addiction quality. I think that your chemical, your, your body, it's not, it's, you got to kind of separate that being a recovering addict. You know, if you're on an antidepressant, it's not that you can't quit due to a, an addiction. It's that they need to slowly step you down off of it because of the chemical that it's changing in your body. Some of it's hormonal, some of it's chemical, but they get you relying on this platform. And if you just stop, it'll throw you up and up and down or kick in. Like I know people who are bipolar, if they just stop their medicine, it's a nightmare, right? Right, so I, I guess so. Sorry, I, I, maybe I mean addiction more as chemical side of it as opposed to a personal side. Addiction's a, a is a crazy area that I don't know that we want to get into. Right, but anyways, long story short, with say you're on psilocybin, I, I just did uh, nine months. I, I just did I microdose for nine months straight. 
And uh, there was a point at about the three month mark where I decided just to kind of stop and see how I was. And there's no problem with doing that. There's no, you don't need to step down. This isn't an addictive quality drug to begin with. This is from the earth. It's natural. It's, it's just, uh, it's medicine. So I stopped to, to no ill effects, but I realized that I needed, I wasn't ready to stop, that I still wasn't immediately anxiety and, and my stress levels started to pick up. So uh, I got back on them, you know, just uh, just following the method, 100, 100 milligrams every four days. And I got to about the eighth or ninth month mark, and I, I was just like, you know what, I'm good. And I just stopped, stopped ordering, stopped taking them, no adverse effects. I'm not the same. I, I journeyed a lot, and I'm not, I don't mean in a psychedelic form. I just mean under that small, small dosage. It was enough to get me through a mountain of stress and a mountain of anxiety. And I came out of the other end, stopped using, and I no longer have stress or anxiety. So I know that it, it puts your brain almost in a neutral state where it allows you know, the things that really affect you but don't really matter, all of a sudden don't. Kind of gives you a reboot. Yeah, it allows you to rewire. You know, so, so you can learn how to deal with these things in a much healthier form because it's not jamming in on you all the time, right? on that level that, that like for me for for where i was at and what i needed that that's all i needed now there are uh, you know as we as i started talking about like the ptsd soldiers that's a completely different system you know they really they, they hit them hard because you can go there and, and do one session with these doctors and you're good for six months or up to a calendar year you know but you're completely cured and and the thing is they're finding now because the, the laws are starting to back off and they're allowed to use them a lot more and they're allowed to do a lot more research finally, they're actually getting to a point where they're realizing that they can, they can do certain combinations and some of these people are just cured for the rest of their life. They don't need another hit. I mean, that's crazy, especially when you're uh, talking about the level of PTSD that uh, vets have after they've come back from uh, Call of Duty. Because like uh, most of us, we have things from our childhood and stuff like that, that we grew up with that's considered to be PTSD. Like when you look, when you compare the two, it's almost like you're not actually looking at the same thing. And for those drugs or medications, for them to actually be able to do that first some of uh, kind of a traumatic experience, that's incredible. Well yeah, and, and here's 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 a here's a little thing. This is sort of where psychedelics get you to, honestly. So for me, any of these issues, whatever they are, person to person, there is no different level. Uh, you're the only one that's ever going to experience what you've been through, and you're the only one right. that knows what that means. And even though I may have experienced uh, the same level of abuse in almost the same household, me and you will never actually understand that you know what I know or that we feel what we feel because it could just be this much of a little bit of a difference, but it, it doesn't make it any less. I mean, don't get me wrong, the horrors of war and everything else are, are, are brutal. So is child abuse, sexual abuse, you know, like all these things are, it's subject, it's subject to the, the, the person. We all have, this is your world, right? This is your existence. This is what you know. This is your consciousness. So I think that the big takeaway from, from all of this is that, uh, you know, the ability to be able to start mainstreaming it and to start talking about it. The biggest, the biggest problem with everything leading up to this was the fact that, as Rob pointed out, doesn't really know anything about it. Well, how the hell can you not? I mean, we, we know not, don't take that personally. I don't mean it that way. I just mean that why is it that we all know so much about oxycodone and the and the adverse effects about it but we don't know these natural medicines they've been pulling out of the earth for well uh, psilocybin um you know uh, there's cave paintings that depict the use of it before recorded history they were eating magic mushrooms so no it's not big pharma that's that's why we don't know about it well, yeah, the big pharma, as well as, I mean, the government stepped in. I was back in the 60s when the government stepped in and kind of shut it all down. When it was just kind of at its, its infancy and, and progress, it, it's nice now, though, to see. And even with marijuana, like, again, like I come from this idea that all drugs are bad. And even marijuana, I opened up to and I started realizing, like, why, why is this, you know, so bad? And uh, 
it's it's nice, Jill, though, to actually see that that the governments are progressive as progressive as the government can be, and certainly open up. And the FDA approved uh, testing what two years ago uh, with with the uh, the psychedelics because they realized that this was just all an old an old old white Christian value that uh, that seemed to shut everything down, not realizing that we have to get we have well we have to save we have to save the veterans, right? Well, that, that's that's most certainly where it started. The, to me, the, the the big letdown, I suppose, of, of what it is, is you know, uh, marijuana. Good luck ODing on it. Uh, LSD. You've everybody's heard horror stories. Uh, if you know what it is, and I mean, people microdose LSD nowadays. Uh, I know, I know a buddy of mine that's on left psilocybin because he wants to try LSD for a while. Um, which, side note. He told me the other day he got a DMT vape pen. So DMT is the active ingredient in ayahuasca. That's the actual drug, right? It's in all the plants and animals in the world. And there's a huge story behind that that would take hours to get through, so we're not going to bother with that. But the availability is becoming uh, – it should have been in the forefront to begin with. We've been fighting wars on friggin' heroin that, or, or cocaine. You know, like this is a product that gets removed from a leaf, gets pounded into the ground, gets boiled in gasoline becomes this highly addictive substance. And then, you know, with the poppies to, to, to create heroin, it's all a transition. It's got to become this drug. And then, it, and then in North America, you've got the big pharma, the medical techs, they devise a synthetic heroin, which is all these opioids that, that everybody's hooked on nowadays. And I remember back in the day, you hurt your back, well, here's a prescription for 100-oxycontin. What? I mean, I, I know. It, there's a waste of time taking those things early. You got to crush them, chop them up, and snort them, right? Like that's. But I'm just, you know, that is the reality of that whole life, right? I mean, to 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 compare that level of ugliness to um, being able to meditate and ingest some mushrooms and realize that there's we only see 33 percent of everything that's around us, and there's other dimensions and there's other beings and these people they trip and they go on these these huge ayahuasca parties, you know, if you, if you sit down and, and get your hands on some, you know, penis heavy mushrooms or whatever, and you're, and you nail five, six, seven grams of that, I mean, you're going to get visited by beings made of light. Like it, you know, um, if you do DMT, you're going to go to the center of the universe and you're going to, you know, there's going to be little guys jumping around welcoming you there. Like they don't want you doing that, you know, um, and they made these drugs so illegal and so full paw not to be spoken of. Nobody's ever been educated. Marijuana, like that can't, that, that one to this day kills me. It's a medicine. They, you know, they can extract CBD oils, like compounds. People are rubbing it on their joints now for arthritis. You can buy CBD sticks, you know, don't even get you high, but they just, they get in and, and, and deal with inflammation and strain. And how long has that plant been here for? Since the rock started turning? <laughs> So I, I, I kind of come from a household too, in a way that like I, or just a personal choice for me is that I, I kind of always avoided pharmaceuticals as well. Cause I just, I never really thought, I, I never really, I don't really trust any of these like big, big government things. I don't want to sound like conspiracy theorists, but uh, you know, and then my wife, she started having issues uh, in regards to uh, mental health and stuff like that. And so, you know, she, she obviously, she gets prescribed, you know, drugs right off the hop or, or, or pharmaceuticals right off the hop. And I'm like, and she was like looking at me for advice. I'm like, I can't tell you anything because I don't know anything about this, but is there better and more natural ideas? And then that's when we started talking. So, but we started, we started talking about like, you know, like even just at, at its base level, like legal stuff, right? Because we were always worried about the, you know, illegals. Uh, so she started like looking into CBD and stuff like that. And she, she's now like, she's not like a, like a heavy user, but I mean, she still takes it with a, a grain of salt, but you know, she went and bought some gummies just to try them out. And, She's definitely, as soon as she takes one, you know, she's a whole different person. It has no adverse side effects other than she gets hungry or maybe has a headache later, you know, but compared to pharmaceuticals, it's uh, it's so much easier on her. And, and, and too, it would depend on the strain and her personality as to whether or not uh, I, I, I have to do sativa. Indica just is horrible. Now I'll start thinking about regrets I had in grade three of cheating on some test or, you know, falling into somebody or something was... I, I if I get sativa into my system, I'm I'm packing a bag of granola and grabbing a water bottle when I'm hiking up a mountain. Like it's just a, you know that that's the reality of of that drug. But you have to find what works for you. And they're even saying now, like you know, it's a little bit more complicated. There's some indicas that would kick the same way as sativa. It depends on your makeup. But I ended up 
sick over over uh, big pharma, you know, like, I mean, it, you know, it was just way cheaper to get my hands on that shit than it was to Coke or heroin or wh whatever the flavor of the freaking month was, because I hit everything I possibly could, right? So pill, pill value, like that's, that's what took me out, you know, so I, I'm, I'm dead set against it. I, I, I got clean when I was 29. I severed my finger six months. I was clean for six months. I had a, a beam fall, cut through the uh, tendon, shot up my hand, cleaved right through the bone and just dug into the ligament. I went to the hospital. They put freezing in there. I ended up with this wonderful plastic surgeon. Gave me a bottle of T3s. I couldn't take them. So I had to take a Greyhound bus from Calgary to Vancouver the next day with the finger that had been severed and reattached. So it felt like it was this big, this throbbing on a Greyhound bus all the way from Calgary to Vancouver, man, which is a nightmare to begin with. And I couldn't even take it. I couldn't even pop a pill because I was afraid I'd go back to where I'd just come from. I'm no fan. I'm, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. That, that shit is shit. It's horrible. It's horrible what it'll do to you. Like even... I was just dealing with kidney stones. I ended up in the hospital, and at this really weird moment, man, I you know I don't want to get too far off topic here, but uh, I went in. It was my second time being in because they can't do anything unless you're in pain. They can't do cat scan. They can't see it, right? So they went in. They put me on the stick, and I remember sitting there, and all of a sudden, I just I was fucking lit. And then I was like, oh, I know what to do. I know how to deal with this. And like everything closed in around me and boom, I, I was operating on that fucking plane. I was right back to where I used to be. And I just yelled, I just screamed. And this doctor come running over and he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm, I'm a fucking recovering addict, man. And they, they, cause they put morphine in, like they were juicing me with morphine. I know, you know, I just, I knew what, you know, they yanked it out of me or whatever. And, and, and he's like, Oh God, I'm so sorry. And they, they give me these weird ass pills. They're red. And I, was, I didn't even want to take them, like I, you know, because I had another uh, another attack. So they, I, I popped one of these pills. I was terrified, but I was in so much pain. I, I took one, and it was the weirdest thing. The pain went away, but there was no high. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's like it's what they give drug addicts, right? Like a recovered drug addicts. But it's the weirdest thing. I'm like, okay, the pain stopped. Where's the freaking high? Like it was the, the most. I'm I'm waiting for the rest. Yeah, like it's so weird. I'm you know I'm I'm. I was 45 at the time or, you know, 46. And it was like the first time since I was like 29 where I took a pill that didn't get me high and it was, but it killed the pain. Right. I'm like, this shit's groovy, man. Why wasn't the, how come this didn't get invented first? You know, and then I heard a story that they made pills uncrushable now. I mean, it was a while back, I guess. I don't know. I've been out of it so long, but good. Thank God. They should have done that. You know, they, but there's no foresight. Well, I think the government, uh, you know, or, or people in general, like there, there's, there, you know, there's a renaissance in regards to psychedelics and, and hallucinogens. And I think people are starting to realize, too, that, you know, they're realizing that the addictions and all the issues that come with uh, pharmaceuticals and even pharmaceutical companies, if pharmaceutical companies were smart, they would like be totally getting into the, the psychedelics and trying to figure out a way to uh, help with the, the advances and the research in this stuff, right? And then they could market it themselves and turn it into something like that, right? My understanding is, is that they are now getting involved. They, I think they have. I, I think that society is pushing it. You know, the, the, the legalization of marijuana, which is just the most ridiculous drug. Like, you know, there's, there's guys in, I mean, the United States of America, but I mean, there's guys that have been in prison for 30 years over a freaking roach, you know? Like, for, for what? For marijuana? Come on. But, but again, right, it's, it's trying to turn that boat around. And our generation is getting older now, and, and we're starting to step into these roles that are still being, anyways, we're starting to get a little bit more power and a little bit more say. And I don't know, maybe common sense isn't done and gone forever. But <laughs> seeing as we're talking about psilocybin or, or psychedelics, you never tripped, Rob, at all. No. Okay. No. Uh, Andrew, experience? Yeah, I've, uh, I've been down that road. Okay, oh, good, yeah. good. Okay, good. The hardcore drugs are a waste of time. I, I was always really into psychedelics, but psychedelics were a different thing altogether. You don't ingest LSD or psilocybin or, you know, do an ayahuasca trip. You're not doing that just for a, to get lit and go out in public and hang out. It's a meditative, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a growth thing. I challenge anybody. I, I've seen so many people put down psychedelics that have never done them and I'm not, I'm just saying it in general. I've seen so many people that haven't done them that have so much to say about them. 
And yet I know so many people who over the past, and it's weird because it's like these guys that are in their mid forties now that are starting to try it. You know, like this was my kick in, in high school. I was dropping out in high school. <laughs> and I, I had to get the hell out of there because I couldn't deal with it. Right. You know, <laughs> it was too much, but you know, these guys are finding it now and what they're finding is, you know, now they, now they're, they're, they're coming and talking to me. These are friends of mine or whatever that used to, you know, kind of frown upon me for, for said things. And now they want to sit and wax poetically about, you know, uh, parallel dimensions and how, you know, like uh, the human race is, uh, is, uh, you know, generally good and it just needs a little bit more love and understanding to move forward in life. And, you know, we all kind of got to work together and, you know, shit, like, you know, like this is, this is the, but this is the reality of psychedelics. Talking about all the different levels. Yeah, the layers. Yeah, that's right. It sounds to me like they're they're a bunch of like uh, they want to be comic nerds now that it's cool. That's what it sounds like to me. <laughs> I understand that. Exactly what it is. But that's okay too, you know, because what that is is that's more people driving it into the mainstream. This is something that's not shouldn't be feared. The ridiculousness is, is now you'll find people who are getting turned onto it, where it's like every Friday or whatever they're gonna they're gonna trip. And that, that the more you travel in the waters, the more you walk that path, the less it means. So you've got to space it out, you know, like do two trips a year or whatever, like the good ones and, and get to the center of the universe for yourself or your core being and understand your surroundings. I mean, I myself have never done DMT. It's on my hit list here very, very shortly. I'm just, I'm just, uh, it's, it's not exactly like you can, he got a vape pen, but it's, a, it's a very low dosage. Whereas if you're doing DMT from all experiences and everything I've read and everything I've ever listened to, you have to manage all three tokes. You have to do three bowls, right? So it's, you know, one hoop kind of puts you up in the atmosphere. The second hoop puts you out in the fucking outer space. And the third one sends you right to the center of the universe. And that's where, that's where all the beings and the, the cities open up and all the, you know. Little men. Yeah, the, the machine elves. Yeah. And a lot of, all these different people have had this experience and they all come back with very similar it's uh trips you know um it, it goes way quick so a lot of people would film themselves so when they come to they just start talking just get it out right so later they can go back and revisit it yeah you don't want to forget it all you almost wish that you had a pen and paper in your hand the entire time so you could just constantly be jotting everything down as it as it comes to you but you're not there right you're gone no i've spoken personally to people who They've done one DMT trip and their life has changed forever. Uh, same with ayahuasca, but my problem with those things is they're guided. There's some shaman or somebody, and I know this other guy, I'm not going to use any names or whatever, but he's very pragmatic. He's very, uh, he's very structured. He's very idealistic. Focused. Yeah. And uh, he was telling me that he went on, he, he, they, they hit him with uh, five milligrams of uh, psilocybin and three milligrams of MDMA. They lit him up. But it was a guided, you know, it was a guided tour, whatever. So anyways, he starts talking to me about his spirit animal and his totem and all this shit. And I'm like, what are you fucking talking about, man? Excuse me. But he says, uh, you know, I, I, I asked him, like, what, like, can you clarify this for me? Because I, I don't know what you're getting to. So he, he's talking about, his, you know, that he has a spirit animal now and he's seen his totem and he understands so much. And I'm like, you're on a guided tour, man. That's not you. That's somebody led you along that path. He's eastern block basically you know like he's as, as white as you can possibly get you know like his, his lineage i talking to him and his his girlfriend went on one and she thinks she's a jaguar she, somebody was telling her she looked like a jaguar she was some medicine woman and this guy now has a spirit animal and told him and i'm like i can't get with that i can't i don't need anybody banging a drum and whispering in my ear about nonsense right like get away from me it's a personal experience but you know, said guy is the same one who now has a vape pen for DMT. You know, he told me he hit it and it took him out for about four minutes, but he didn't feel like it was a full thing, but it's restricted, right? I mean, it is a class three drug cat. I don't even know how he got his hands on it. I, I can't even believe that they even get it vapable, right? You figure Mike Tyson or Joe Rogan or somebody would have their name on something like that. Listen, listen, I've been on Vancouver Island and uh, I, then the amount of uh, dispensaries and stuff that I'd seen yeah. were like more than like the liquor stores we have here in Ontario. Well, we, they, they shut us all down, right? They, oh, did they? Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. The government, uh, the government legalized it and then handed out no business licenses. Oh, nice. The only dispensaries now are on uh, reserves, on reserve land. And the government has everything locked down so hard now you can't get like if you go for gummies, 
edibles, they have two and a half milligrams. Wow. Like, I mean, hey, don't get me wrong. I've done the other way, right? Ate an 80 milligram jelly log and spent the night on the ground with white lips and people were like, do we need to call you an ambulance? I'm like, you're green it out, right? Like, I know better. You don't need to call me one, but oh my God, am I going to die? <laughs> so why don't we talk about some of the, the differences between some of the drugs? Because uh, psilocybin, I really don't know what that is. The Psilocybin is magic mushrooms. I don't even know how you pronounce it. The Ayahuasca? Ayahuasca. Yeah, I don't I don't know what that is either. Um, you, you hear about people going out on their peyote trips out in the middle of the desert. Masculine, yeah. Talk me through what some of these different things are. Ayahuasca, psilocybin, LSD. These are all very uh, similar in the psychedelic end of things. You know, it's about um, interdimensions. It's about, uh, you know, the fact that we, we only have access to so much as to what's actually here or uh, an agreed upon understanding as to what uh, a solid base is or mass or whatever. So on the, on those branches of things, it's, it's basically, and this is how I've always felt about it personally, it's your subconscious taking over your conscious. You know, the reason why you see tracers, I'll put it to you this way. Okay, on LSD one night, I watched this guy, and this guy's an idiot, like putts number one, right? Like the biggest, he's going nowhere in life, and he's going there real fast. I know a guy like that. I know a few. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's doodling at my kitchen table, right? We're all having a laugh and hanging out. I on LSD just freaking smacked out of our skulls. And, and it's funny, like the little things that you see, you know, like as this guy was drawing on this piece of paper, I ended up with a deck of cards in my hand. And, I realized that all the face cards actually tell a story. Like I, 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 you know, I know that different, different suits have different strengths in a deck of cards. I, you know, but if you, you, you can lay them all out so you can see the whole affair take place between the Jack and the queen, you know, the, the king and queen are looking at each other and the Jack's looking the other way on the one. And then the next one, the Jack's looking at the queen, the queen's still looking at the king. The next one, the queen's looking at the king. And then the last one, the hearts, the king's killed himself. Right. Cause the joke, you know, the, the Jack and the queen are fucking over. So, I mean, like, I'm sitting there just like, I can blow my mind over this, right? I'm like, oh, what an idiot. Right? Like, like, this is incredible. It was like a day or two later, and we're looking at this doodle this guy was doing, and, and fucking, like, that looks like a schematic, and, you know, like, really, is that a light bulb? Like, is that really how electricity works? So, we took it to high school to, like, the shop teacher and handed it to him. The guy's like, yeah, bang on, man. That's exactly how current works. This guy doesn't know nothing. <laughs> you show him the paper later and he was just doodling in his own mind you know but he figured out how current works in a house like how a light turns on and off he had heard that or that he'd read that at some point in his life or somebody had explained it to him or it was just naturally within him but it took that drug to get that out of him ayahuasca is a is like a, a good mushroom hit is five hours you know uh dmt that's the business trip you look at 15 minutes ayahuasca which dmt is the, the the ingredient out of ayahuasca that actually gets you lit so there's a chemical in your stomach that when you ingest dmt in any form it turns off it, it turns dmt off it doesn't get a chance to get to your brain and light you up ayahuasca is this root that they found in in, in south america and if you boil this root down and make it into basically liquid and then you get the dmt into it you can make this this drink and when you drink it, what they get out of that root goes into your stomach with the DMT, but that actually turns off the inhibitors in your stomach. So now the DMT is allowed to course through your system. The interesting thing about that is, and I, I was talking to Rob about this, and I'm not sure the year, and I, I, I don't want to say it, but I'm pretty sure that they'd found, they'd recently found like a shaman's pouch in South America. There's three fox faces sewed together. And basically with, uh, there was enough remnants in the bag for them to, to, to pull it out to, to figure out what the chemical compounds were. They figured that it was like 1,300 years ago they were already onto this. So how they figured out that, A, in some plants and animals there's this drug, and B, you need this one root in the freaking jungle to boil it down and mix it with it to get high? Who knows? Aliens. Well, <laughs> yeah. Look, like I said, before history was ever recorded, uh, like there's cave drawings of people that, that they can associate. They knew they were eating magic mushrooms 4,000 years ago or whatever the heck it is, right? Like, yeah, like, I mean, a long time ago, right? So the, the difference between them, I th I'd say that those are all very similar. I didn't even know that it was a root. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, well, that's, uh, the root is, 
the root is what turns off the, the chemical in your stomach that, that blocks DMT. So it's a combination. It's a, it's a huge undertaking. Probably YouTube videos on, uh, on how they make it uh, in, in South America. And it's, it's a, it is a pretty big undertaking. And, and, the, and the unique thing is a lot of those cultures down there, they give newborns and small children like a teaspoon. Here, you need to know, you need to know that there's a lot more around than, than what you can see in your everyday life when you're walking around. It's not enough to blast them into outer space, but it's enough just to like, it's like microdosing. This is to be protected. There's a lot more going on here. You know, if we don't take care of this, then it'll get rid of us basically, right? Which I think at this point, I think everybody's starting to figure out. So speaking of, speaking of which, and I guess uh, so this would probably bring up some criticisms and stuff like that. Let's talk about a couple of criticisms about uh, uh, psychedelics and stuff like we don't really, I, I think the biggest issue that most people have, obviously, is, uh, you know, you have the, the, the fundamentalist people who just want to make sure that nobody's happy and having a good time, uh, is that the, the party boy mentality that, like you said, like you get, you have a friend that just like, you know, blasted a whole bunch of it, party boy mentality. And that, that was kind of what kind of ruined marijuana or, or obstructed marijuana for a long time too. That So how do you control it? Keep it controlled. Should you keep it controlled, and how do you control it so that people aren't going out and doing stupid stuff because of it, because they, they're just doing it for the party? Okay, let me put it to you this way. The party on alcohol, which is a depressant, and they're okay with that. Now, the argument can be always taken if you have two rooms in a, in a hallway. You've got a room on the left and a room on the right. The room on the left, you put 10 guys in there and all the alcohol they can drink. The room on the right, you put 10 guys in there and all the weed they can smoke. And four hours later, go open up the door on the left where the alcohol is. People are going to be stabbing each other. There's going to be fist fights. There's going to be rage. There's going to be problems. It's not going to be pretty. There's always going to be an argument. Open the door on the right. A bunch of guys sitting around laughing about the last Scooby-Doo episode they've seen or trying to figure out, you know, how, how best to get out of the room to get a pizza. You know, like it's, it's a different, it's a different, it's very easy to stand back and, and criticize what you don't know, right? Like it, it, it very much is. And unfortunately, because it's been, so taboo or you know i mean i remember as a kid hearing about lsd i think everybody heard the same story right oh this cop down in california right got like a thousand hits a liquid vial or whatever and it touched his thumb and he's still strapped to a bed and hey look man there's no guarantee that that last time i did lsd i'll tell you man okay so the last time i did lsd which was a long time ago i was probably 18 19 years old and i was on a hell of a bender right so every time for those of you that don't know if you do a, a single on a monday you want to get high on Tuesday, you got to do a double. If you want to get high on Wednesday, you got to do a quad. Okay. If you want to get high on Thursday, you're doing eight hits, right? So come Friday, 16 hits or whatever, you know, like you got to double it every time to, to get high. So it was probably almost a weekend. I didn't come like I, <laughs> so we dropped, it was about eight o'clock at night. And usually, you know, it takes an hour, right? So the peak would hit around nine and then you're just fucking block. Oh, sorry. You're blotto until about 10. 10 30 11 and then you slowly start to come down and you just ride this 12 hour you know the balance up so another 10 hours of just dropping right the last time I, so it was about eight o'clock when i dropped nine o'clock i peaked it was about 7 30 the next morning i was hiding in uh in uh, the linen closet upstairs in the in my parents freaking townhouse out of my mind still raging like never came down you know, calling a girlfriend, trying to, you know, get, you know, wake your mom up, get her dry up here. I need orange juice. Like I gotta come down. And I was in full panic mode that I was never going to come down. Right. So it just kept, it just kept it going. It just kept perpetrating it. Like I was so freaked out within that drug. Like it was the worst trip. I mean, I, you know, I've heard of bad trips. I, I thought that was different than what I was, you know, what I would have was a bad trip. I don't know if I ever did come down. You know, long story short, these things, these things have long-term effects. So then, sorry, then that, that brings up the, like, kind of the next point then. It was like, uh, you, bad trips, right? I mean, people have bad trips. I don't want to be, I don't want to be that, that infomercial, you know, where you know, this is your brain on drugs kind of thing, but you know, bad trips can lead to bigger issues. Kind of like alcohol, alcohol in a way, right? Right. Well, that, and interestingly enough, that's another thing that they're fighting now with uh, psilocybin is alcohol abuse. But, okay, with, with, in that theory, if, if it wouldn't have been so taboo if it wouldn't have been so crazy illegal if it wouldn't have been so unknown i never would have gone that freaking high to begin with you know had this have been a, a a much more documented thing and as far as bad trips go man i remember watching like you know 
my mom was like watching Donahue and shit, like going off about these kids throwing themselves off buildings and stuff. And like, what? Where'd that ever happen? I don't know. It never did, right? It was just nonsense. But, you know, as, as far as a bad trip goes, that was, I mean, I'm sure people have gone off, but also mental illnesses get triggered by that stuff. I mean, sometimes it triggers mental illnesses, right? They say that, you know, that there's some evidence that marijuana can, can tip off uh, schizophrenia. It's, it's a matter of if we would have spent the past 50 years getting to know these natural drugs instead of focusing so much on fighting these man-made and man-altered drugs that have led to horrible addiction, homelessness, street crime, deaths. Like, I mean, the OD rates are out of control. You know, well, nobody's ever going to OD on marijuana. So let them smoke that. Like, maybe they wouldn't be out there. You know, the, you always heard the gateway drug thing, man. You want to know what a gateway drug is? Coffee and nicotine. You know, two of the most deadliest and yet susceptible allowed because they can tax it legally. Like, how do these people line up at Starbucks to get their fix in the morning, man? Like, come on. I, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love coffee, but uh, Jesus, man, that's addiction. They're spending seven bucks a cup. <laughs> <laughs> you know you need it when. I guess I guess that's a bit the big thing, and that's kind of something that I realize a bit too. And I realize that with marijuana and stuff like that is, that, I mean, people always come, oh yeah, you can't do this with marijuana. You don't know what people were complaining about, blah blah blah. You know, marijuana is like harmless and all that stuff. Because it's been taboo and because it's been illegal, it, there hasn't really been that thorough research. So I mean, people can come out and say, uh, oh well, you know, this stuff you can't be addicted to this stuff, or you can't be addicted to that, you know, because you know I've never seen somebody addicted to that. But there hasn't been the studies. Kind of a counterpoint. Yes, we do definitely need more studies to understand this stuff. How, I mean, th that's a criticism as well, right? So maybe this will help you. Okay, so this is partying on, ma on magic mushroom psilocybin, right? We've got a big party lined up, me and my friend Niff. Everybody's coming over to her house, right? So we've got a couple bags of freaking mushrooms. So I get there early, right? We both need a handful waiting for everybody giggling. And then I would make tea, right? So everybody would show up. So we're already a handful ahead of them, right? Everybody would take a handful. I'd pour everybody tea. And we're getting zoomy now, right? So it's time to go for a walk. So we go down to the Trans Canada Trail in Chilliwack, and there's a there's a you know the Better River, right? It's nighttime. There's nobody around, man. It's a clear summer night. Um, you know, there's these flowers that are kind of glowing in the moonlight, and Jen's over there freaking playing them like a piano, and we're all just fucking holy fucking it's so awesome, right? And then we all end up laying in the middle of the path at some point, man, with all of our heads together. Everybody's laughing so hard. It hurts. Like your guts are just killing you, man. Cause you get, as soon as you get mushroom laughs going, it's, it's forget it. You're good. You're good for 10 minutes of crying and holding your belly. Like that's how hard you're laughing, you know, and it all, it, this particular night, it all trickled off because I, there was <laughs> a meteor shower and we're all laying there. And like, I'm like, I'm the only one I can see this. Come on. I'm like, Hey guys, like it's a meteor shower. Right. And then they can all see it. Well, they start calling me Cliff Claver, right? Because, you know, whatever, right? Like, this is a big <laughs> joke. So now we're laughing, man. We're up there for probably half an hour, right? Just killing ourselves laughing. Well, you know, like the whole night goes on. This goes on for like another three hours, man. Nobody, we're just, we're all grown adults. We're all just having a hoot, man. You listen to the river go, like, you know, the moon, the stars, the wind, the trees, just experiencing nature and its beauty and having a laugh. We're not hurting nobody, man. There's nothing bad going on in any way, shape, or form. We get back to the house, everybody passes out, we get up the next morning, grab the province newspaper, it's going up with the meteor storm, cliff flavor. But, you know, that, that's the extent to partying, right? But again, these are grown adults, too. When we were young, I remember getting detained by the police because we were so high on mushrooms in West, in West Vancouver, we were chasing a raccoon around. It's the funniest thing we ever seen, man. There's this raccoon in the middle of the street. What's he doing there? I don't know. Let's follow him and see what he's up to, right? So now we're, you know, investigating this raccoon. Well, it looks suspicious in the neighborhood because it's three people running around after a raccoon laughing their asses off so someone called the cops but that's what we got up to man you know we weren't breaking into houses to try and come up with uh oh right shit's free in, in a farmer's field and you know and i don't need to pay for it so you know it, like you know there's a bunch of dark seediness that goes along with the stuff that we somehow have made okay no, I, I understand that. I agree. I agree with that. It's just uh, I, I find it funny. So I used to talk to my friends or, or people had coworkers that would go on about how marijuana is not addictive or nobody's ever been killed by marijuana. As soon as work was over or during a break, they're running out to their car to get to you know to to smoke a doobie. <clears throat> they can't process. They can't. Like, oh well, I'm a, I'm stressed out. I need to have a smoke. I could not even put insurance on my car without smoking the joint back in the day. I could not deal with. I couldn't go into a grocery store not high. 
In fact, the only time anybody ever thought I was high was when I wasn't. They'd be like, are you on drugs? I would take that any day of the week over alcohol. You know, I'm, I, I tend to be, I was always into uppers anyways, throughout my entire drug career, right? Only when the only thing I could get my hand on was down was the only time I would ever do down. And of course, after you get clean, then it was okay to smoke and drink coffee and drink booze, right? Well, fucking booze is the depressant. Uh, smoking's going to kill me. So then I quit smoking. So now it's like coffee and freaking beer and then food. That was like, you know, the, the last of the addictions, right? Like, I wish I could have been one of those guys that got addicted to going to the gym, you know, after recovery. <laughs> no, instead, I got addicted to making prime rib. And I would do that on a bag of mushrooms. Right? Come on over, right? you know, make some mushroom tea and we'll have a nice dinner. It's good. Nothing, nothing goes with prime rib like some mushroom. <laughs> and then, then whoever's listening, you take that whatever way you want. <laughs> That's right. No, but to, to get back to the whole thing about, um, you know, the difference between psychedelics, I wouldn't, there's differences, there's different forms of rides in, rides out, but it's what the individual experiences. And if you're, you know, if you're, if you're using them to mood alter, so you're microdosing, uh, great, uh, you know that's medicine at its at its at its peak form. It's just not addictive. It's it's not like I just told you. I microdosed for nine months and then just just stopped. And I was, it was never enough to really get get a guy high. Anyways, it was just enough to balance. But to mix it or to compare it to a different psychedelic, it depends on who you are as to what you're going to get out of it. So I think that's the biggest discussion that I've been seeing too in recent. Uh, I mean, now that it's kind of a renaissance and people are are more into believing that it's it's therapeutical is that the, the discussion is that how it works for everybody is an individual and as you mentioned too with the ptsd is that it doesn't work in all the cases but it the fact that it is going to help a majority of the people and that's what the studies are showing that it's going to help i think it was something somebody said something like 80 percent of it it could be like 60 percent to 80 percent in the first little bit just like in the first few dosages or uh trials and then after that within a year like you know there's like People like, you know, uh, soldiers who were PTSD went through the cycle and then a year later they're in there helping other soldiers get through because they don't have these issues anymore. It's probably the most important point to come from and that's kind of why I, I'm more more interested in it and learning about it. And so I really appreciate you talking about this, Paul, and, and you know, you're candid about, about your experiences as well. Um, I appreciate that. And that's why we had you here. But not only that, we have you here because we love video games. Let, let, let's start off. I, like, I'll throw it to Andrew. Andrew, what video games do you play as a kid and or as younger? And whether it's a system or a game that that just that takes you back every time that you kind of started you off into video games. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, the the first video game system that we had in the house was Pong. That's the only game that was on it, and it's just this two-dimensional ping pong game with a little ball going back and forth then i really from that point i you know arcades were big you got into the arcade gaming i love turbo i love centipede uh pac-man one thing that i came across this past week which i didn't realize that so pac-man it was a japanese game except that it was called puckman when they went to release it internationally uh, as a preventative measure against defacement at the ar- arcades that they that they because they were worried about people changing the p to f so at that point it became pac-man i didn't know that okay so i was into the arcade games then then kind of went back to the the console games like your nintendo i played a lot of super mario brothers and then for quite some time, I was just off gaming. I, I guess it was just that if I didn't have access to, to one. I didn't have a system. I didn't have a computer for the longest time, which seems incredibly odd now that somebody wouldn't have a computer, but I didn't. And I actually got into um, the video game Doom only because my roommate had a computer and so I started, I played right through that, of course, on the easiest setting. 
it's all a lot of times it's always been the quick and easy games that would keep me coming back uh a lot of times it's always been the the driving games like when i kind of go back i kind of think okay well the the first one was turbo that uh kind of got me into to video games then with the the wii and wii u the mario kart more recently with the xbox the the forza forza horizon 3 uh i often come back to those quick and easy games and then you know when you're sitting on a park bench then you've got your phone gaming now games are everywhere so that's just kind of a bit of a sample through my life experiences of games it's crazy that at least the three of us can look back and see the complete progression of games from the time that they started up until you know your your multiplayer games that that we have now oh for sure i do a quick little note i'll, I'll kick it to you in a second paul but a quick little note i learned how to drive playing nascar racing four i didn't have my license when i played that i had it on my computer and i it, i bought the computer it came with the uh steering wheel and the uh and the pedals and all that stuff and oh man it was like force feedback and everything that's how i learned to drive a car rob can only make less but that's okay whatever that's all i need to do <laughs> i make sure where i live that i only have to turn left to get to where i need so anyway paul tell me a little bit about your video game history first of all i think you turn right at sears point and that causes a lot of accidents but uh same same we had the pong to begin with um yeah. pretty much a staple of the 70s um uh from there my parents were stoners so they ended up with uh an intellivision i don't know if you guys remember that yeah, yeah. It, it was it was it was either the intel you either had the intellivision or you had the atari yeah. and there was like no in between no family friends had atari you know playing barn, barnstormers and all that shit right uh, but uh but uh we had uh, the intellivision um from there and yeah, i don't know i ended up with my own i think i ended up with there was a, of course nintendo uh you know super mario brothers that was a big hook i think for everybody such a classic game uh but then i i, I ended up uh I always had something like a Super Nintendo or, or just something or whatever, but I never, I kind of like just lost interest or whatever. And then I ended up with a PlayStation and dollars to donuts. I'll put uh, uh, Gran Turismo up against any other driving game ever. I think uh, one and two, two was out of this world. That one really, that was like that. I spent hours just screwed up in front of that, in front of that game. Uh, and then, uh, you know, again, I, I was off and I was doing, I was, I was busy trying to wreck my life. And then when I got my head out of my ass with that, I ended up, uh, when I was about 30, somebody bought me a gaming laptop and installed World of Warcraft. And that was pretty much, like, some of the things you do, like, when you stop using, you can't hang around with your old friends, you can't go to your old places you can't get into your old habits you got to break all that stuff so to be able to put on a headset and talk to these people from all over the world america be in this vent or system or whatever and then doing 25 and 40 man raids and it was pushing all those dopamine buttons anyway so it's like you're still using right you're just you know you're there for hours just friggin' hey yeah. i'm gonna go throw another pot of coffee right we can make it through the night <laughs> um and, uh, and then i finally got myself broken out of that and uh, i ended up with uh uh, back to PlayStation, PlayStation Four, and I and I, and I, I still game um, pretty hard. Depends on what's going on in my life, you know. Uh, it's it's a comfort zone for sure. Uh, when things are horrible, I end up sitting here and you know, I'll get up in the morning, make coffee, go for a walk, come home, and uh, throw it on because I don't want to deal with a bunch of stress or whatever. And, and mur murder murder some people in Destiny. Yeah, Destiny's <laughs> a good one. Yeah, Destiny's a real good one. Yeah, you, you, you and I, you and I made a, a reconnection, kind of a family reconnection on Destiny for a little bit there. Before That's right. That's right. And then I think I took you to PvP and shot you a few times, and that was it. That was the last time I played. But yeah. <laughs> you, you know what? You know what? You got me into that whole like I, I was never into the whole MMO, not not necessarily MMO, but the well, first PvP person shooter. Type. Yeah, I was never. I was into first person shooters, but not with other players. Uh, I was always I was against the AI, and that was good enough for me. But then you kind of just took me by the hand a little bit and then suddenly I'm going, Hey, I love this stuff. Well, that, that, that's an excellent blend what they did, right? Like, uh, you know, the MMO, uh, first person shooter, 
you know, being able to get up with a group of three or six people and go and, and take on a, uh, that was really a unique situation. I mean, I know they'd done like Call of Duty. Uh, I never got into that, but the, uh, there was a, a few other, the first person shooters, but I felt like they didn't move very well. And about seven years ago, I, I seen an advertisement on my PlayStation. I was in Edmonton for this game called Destiny. And I figured out what the hell, right? I'll pick up a first person shooter, see what it's like what they like what you know the fact that you can make your character jump and turn to the left turn the body to the left but still be aiming to the right as you like and just draping yeah. the control is just incredible right and i was kind of like yeah nothing really kind of touches this for like you know like a, you're actually moving that guy like you're you know you're you're on it it's, it's, it's you it's you yeah right? you're and then you. and then fish on seven years later still playing um yeah <laughs> but it's a good one for sure <laughs> yeah so I, I've I've been a, I'm a lifetime gamer. Uh, like you guys, I kind of started with Pong. Uh, we called it hockey on our TV, but it was it was Pong. It was the same thing. The little uh, the little spinner remote or whatever you call it. The uh, played that for a little bit. And then we got the Atari, and we had oh my my dad he just he brought home games all the time. And so we tried we played everything. It wasn't until probably when I uh, and I, I we played like we had like Commodore 64s that we'd hook up to the TV and we'd skip school and. Uh, my buddy and I, we just like play like Olympics, summer Olympics and stuff like that. And we just, we played so much stuff. Uh, Maniac Mansion, uh, get some crazy games. These, these were kind of the games I got into or these like kind of adventure ones where you actually had to do something and it wasn't just like, you know, like points. You actually had to go do something. And then uh, I moved out uh, out of my house when I was 17 and uh, uh, my buddy that I moved in with, he had a Tandy. And so I got into computer gaming and online gaming, which, you know, was very early stages of BBSs and like remotely connecting to somebody else's uh, computer through a phone. And, so, yeah, uh, I didn't we, think they had online back then. It, it was like, we're talking like the, the very basics, right? Like you had to, you know, you, you don't know the phone bills I racked up, but you <laughs> don't know the phone bills I racked up on like 14.4 baud modems. Anyway, so... Uh, then I, I just started discovering like all the different ways of gaming and stuff like that. And, and computer gaming, there was customization. I learned about SimCity and Sims and, you know, use your suit Larry for the people who play the adult games. Uh, and then I discovered when I had my own computer after NASCAR, uh, I got a point about NASCAR, I'm going to come back to you. But uh, then we learned, I learned about uh, Duke Nukem. That one took me to a whole new world. That's where I got my first person shooter experience. That game was so vulgar at the time. It was it was like it was more vulgar than uh, than Larry, Leisure Suit Larry. The point of Leisure Suit Larry was to try to get laid. Duke Nukem was to blast people and you know bang chicks. <laughs> he never actually saw it, but you know he he would go into the strip joint, kill a bunch of aliens, and he like pull out some cash and go take it for me, baby. <laughs> it was just uh, some serious stuff. But uh, we got into. Uh, uh, later, a couple later years, we just started getting into the consoles, and that's when the Sega Genesis came out. And my brother and I lived together in a house for a while, and we every every night was a party at our house, and people come over. But we would have these like, and we we were slobs, you know. We 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 like make a bunch of stuff. We only had we we could only afford toast or rice or spaghetti or whatever, right? But we never did the dishes. And so what we do, we trick our buddies coming over playing and play video games. We say, hey, let's let's put a bet on this on this wrestling game. Because we always played like the WWF wrestling games. Be like, hey, this is what we're gonna do. Dishes. You guys can beat me. You can do your you know, I won't uh, you won't have to do my dishes, but if you want to, you know, if I beat you, you gotta do my dishes. And some of these guys actually fell for it and did it. Oh, what 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 those systems were amazing. They 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 became like kind of like a community for us. And that people came over and just to play video games and hang out at our house because our house is like a party house. And you know, we we, we drink, we we listen to music loud, and we just up all night, order food in, and up all night just playing video games on our Sega Genesis and our Super Nintendos. Going to the back to the NASCAR for a second, I gotta say, I was a big Dale Earnhardt fan because of NASCAR Racing 4. <laughs> and the day that Sterling Marlin, Sterling Marlin crashed into him and killed oh. killed Dale Earnhardt on the track. I was so upset that I would go on NASCAR racing for it. And if I got beat, I would turn around and I would just start driving backwards on the track until I could find Sterling Marlin and I'd head on. <laughs> the only thing was is that I hated Sterling Marlin before he, he, he killed him. And he didn't kill him on purpose, obviously. But no. the, I hated him before because every time I raced on NASCAR racing for he was always the guy that would beat me or take me out. <laughs> it was just like, it was... Oh, it was brutal. <laughs> so Rob, something interesting that you had mentioned that 
that everybody would come over to your house and play. And that was a big thing when we were growing up that it was very much a social thing. You'd all get together over at one buddy's house and play video games on all night. Now everybody has their own system. They want to be in their own home so then they can uh, play online with individuals or you're taking your entire console over to a buddy's house and you're sitting there with uh, screens side by side staring into one monitor so then you can play together. But it's totally changed how how you play. It kind of it kind of hasn't it hasn't in a way like I mean yeah we had that you're side by side with those controllers but like I said before like Paul and I made that family connection that we hadn't had in a long time but now we can do it he's he's five thousand kilometers away from me and now we can we can still have that family connection no oh, which is cool no no that, that was that was another thing that happened to me right I ended up moving to Edmonton and the the few friends I did have uh, lived in uh, Chilliwack and down in Abbotsford all in British Columbia. So the PlayStation, the PlayStation Four, we work or whatever, and then Friday night, you know, single dude, anyways, freaking grab a case of beer on the way home, put the headsets on, you know, jump in a game with these guys I've been friends with for twenty years, just can't yeah. see, and we just crack cold ones and hang out and have a laugh, and that's how we socialized, right? Uh, today you can use Zoom. Uh, <laughs> you yeah, know, or, or whatever. Like, just like, like we're doing. I, I, right, I said to a buddy of mine the other day, I'm like. Can you download Zoom? And he goes, Oh, I've got it. I'm like, Well, why haven't we freaking had a scotch? Like, I haven't seen you in almost a year, man. Like, we have this, we could do it, right? Like, oh, well, yeah, I never even thought about it. I'd like to shoot aliens. Yes. That's where I want to meet you. That's right. But on the other hand, like, I think it's, it's, it's kind of brought back. I was kind of weary of it at first. Like I said, I didn't get really into the, the online playing against each other until. Paul brought me back into it. I just kind of, I always thought that, you know, I'd go in there and especially games like Grand Theft Auto or, or, uh, you know, Doom and stuff like that, or uh, Call of Duty specifically, where you go in there and by the time I installed it, everybody who's playing it had already, were already way better than I was. And so I couldn't even compete. I couldn't even, and then it wasn't fun at the time. Yeah. But then now, now, now with the fact that you can wear headsets and they can socialize and you can make friends and, and it's just a major massive worldwide community, global community now. You can actually work through things like that's the other that's the other that's the other part of all of this that you know there's negatives and, and positives to gaming and it's funny because being a, a gamer i always think like the negative effects or whatever but i can take you know if you guys both have ps4s and, and own destiny i can take you guys through runs and we can talk strategy and work out everything that we're doing and stuff and you know you gotta hit the head or grab a cold beer or whatever have a laugh and or we would go into something we've never been in before and we would take angles and look at things and help each other figure out how a section of the room moves or whatever you're, you're working you're problem solving yeah you're hanging out and talking but you're also moving something along right like and and, and that's I have to buy a ps4 yeah it, yeah but it's a, it's another aspect to it where it's you know um i've seen everybody before was freaking out over uh minecraft and then and then i, I read this paper that's one of these head psychologists wrote on the benefits of minecraft like like, okay yeah you don't want your kid sitting in front of a screen but there's literally no rules in that game whatever a kid imagines he can actually go and do it's it's a it's a it's a world it's an environment in which the kid's not told no you can't do this you know nobody says in that in that world in that realm there's there's no handicap there's nothing you can't do if you believe it or if you think it or if you think it up or you design it you can just do it. You can create it. You can do it. Accessibility. My son plays that now and again. And some of the stuff that people have created, it's absolutely unbelievable. Like, how did they even think of this? But I mean, if you give a child that level of creativity, yeah, behind a blue screen kind of sucks, but nobody's ever going to tell them they can't do something. The future is you know, connectivity and computers and screen time and stuff like that. Not even just like in regards to, to play time or socializing, but to family or sorry, to, to work and productivity and efficiencies that it, everything's on the computer. So having the kids on the screen all the time, and this is a whole other discussion, but people, people are starting to realize that, that and they're taking advantage of it. And you see like Microsoft is like, you know, developing all these things where you can work together now remotely and actually be, technically like not physically there but like your, your likeness can physically be there like in, in an environment altogether with the you know i don't know if it's i can't remember what it's called like glass or surface or something like that 
We're moving into the Oasis. We are moving into the Oasis. And speaking of Oasis, we got to wrap this up. So I'm going to ask you guys one last question. Video game, what is the one video game right now that you can't live without? <laughs> oh, why don't we start with you? Well, I'll start uh, Grand Theft Auto online. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I I'm Paul and Rob at the same time here. Uh, <laughs> Grand Theft Auto online. And uh, I I'm, I'm intrigued by Forza. I've been watching some videos on Forza Horizon, so I might pick that up. But yeah, Grand Theft Auto online is the game I play right now. Paul? Uh, well, Destiny's just the constant, but I've been playing this um, Phoenix uh, Legend Rising, I think it's called, or something. It's it's uh, Assassin's Creed, but it's... it's Assassin's um, Creed is an amazing game. It is still Assassin's Creed, but it's kind of cartooned over, and it's all dealing with Greek mythology. Yeah, but it's very much humor-based. Like, they play up what a bastard Zeus is, and, you know, like, they, they there's a lot of swearing and cursing and derogatory remarks, and then the you know, the affairs that went on in Olympus and all that sort of stuff. They do a really, really smart job of playing it up. And it's just, it just is stunning, like beautiful. Like, it, you know, I'm spending way too many hours playing it, but it's just, something, you know, to, to, to pass the time. The story of all video games, playing way too many hours. Sadly enough, I'm waiting for reset on Destiny. So that's, you know, I've done everything I could for the week. So I'm playing this. <laughs> I'm waiting for Grand Theft Auto 6. So Andrew, what about you? Uh, when we talk about stuff that we can't live without, because I can't live without my phone, I'm and I constantly have it with me. It doesn't matter where I go, I can always jump onto Clash of Clans. That's that's my go-to game. Is that good? I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fun. It's, yeah, exactly. I mean, it, what the great thing about it is is that you can play it for five minutes. You can play it for ten minutes, walk away from it, and totally forget about it. And you can jump right back in a week later and play again and nothing has changed. And then you just continually build and build and build instead of uh, having to come back and start over at the beginning and kind of work your way through or try to even figure out, you know, what button do I press? Do I press A? Do I press B? I'll trigger buttons? I don't know. Um, it's just, you know, you're just clicking, clicking with your finger. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be sent for that. Yep. <laughs> beautiful paul i want to thank you for coming all the way from uh, out west uh, to hang out yeah, with it was us a long drive. It it was. Was. <laughs> i've done it i know <laughs> that's right andrew appreciate you hopping on as usual yeah no thanks for those listening thank you ciao take care and don't forget to check out tribe74.com for all your digital media needs cheers thanks a lot mm -hmm.